0: In this episode of Engaging Podcast, we talk to Sarah Couch and Dave Thompson. Um, They are going to tell us about their faculty learning community a little bit. The first question we ask everyone is, what is active learning to you? So let's start with Sarah.
1: So active learning for me is making sure that my students have an experience So whether that experience is performing an activity, a discussion or composing, um, you know, a one minute essay that they are doing something.
0: So it's not just about me, but it's about my students. Dave, what's your take on active learning?
2: So my take on active learning is that it is any activity that gets neurons moving in my students' brains. So if they are thinking and focused on what we're doing then for me that's active learning it's a, to me it's a definition about activity in the brain and that is different than a lot of the community but would would define it so i think that's kind of our unique but that's how i see it if i can get them their brains engaged with the material they're trying to learn then i've got activity
0: it occurs to me just now that we never talked about what flc means, <laughs> or what the point of a faculty learning is community is. So let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, like there's different aspects of a faculty learning community. Part of it is just finding other people who might be going through the same struggles and sort of being that support system for each other, where we can either share our struggles or we we can Hopefully, you know, spark some ideas through conversation of how to deal with a particular uh, difficulty uh, or struggle in teaching. Um, But, you know, it's a group of us where we can support each other.
2: To continue with what Sarah was saying, uh, for me, there's a certain joy in just building friendships and um, community with people that are around campus. And there's also a certain fun part of meeting new people who have a shared. Goal in the same sense that we're all trying to help these our students um, obtain training that enables them to succeed in the future. We have a common purpose, and it's just fun to meet companions on that journey.
0: Yeah, I think also, um, I mean, to add to that community can be difficult because we're all so busy right we sort of go to our office and sit in front of our computer and then go teach our class and come back to sit in front of the computer and so the the idea of taking time away from just staring at your computer screen or staring at your students <laughs> to stare at other faculty members who might who have <laughs> that that sounds nice right <laughs>
1: Well, and part of it, what's nice is that we're all from slightly different disciplines. Um, so we're kind of bringing different ideas and different perspectives and backgrounds in teaching um, to help each other. And just hearing what people are teaching is interesting and can be integrated into other courses or like, oh, hey, yeah, I talk about this aspect in this class. And what do you talk about? And tra- finding those connections between the courses. So I think that's fun.
0: Yeah, that's really neat that you're kind of finding, you know, like that person teaches, I don't know, British literature, but but still you can use something in biology. Something. Yeah, <laughs> That's really a cool thing. So the two of you have been a part of a group that for the last two years, I think, um, have been launching faculty learning communities on our campus and your faculty learning community began you know, with members in spring of 2021. So tell our listeners, what is the focus of your FLC?
1: So I think Dave, you take this one.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you, Sarah. Uh, so the focus of our FLC is um, gateway classes and specifically helping students find success in gateway classes and using active learning methods to do that. And Sarah may want to build on that, but that I think that's how I see it.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is.
0: Okay, so um, can you tell us what you mean by a gateway class,
2: Sarah? Go ahead.
1: <laughs> so, um, <laughs> a, a gateway class is one of these uh, required courses that students must go through in order to get to the more advanced levels in their degree plan. Um, so, it's uh, for me, it's teaching foundations of science is just kind of one of those have to get through courses that students need for just for graduation. Um, For some of our other members in our FLC, they are teaching these um, introductory foundational courses in order for students to move up within the program. And so that's what a gateway program or a gateway class is.
2: And we have some uh, professors too who are teaching some upper level classes that, that might also be categorized gateway classes for the major, at least not they're not introductory gateway classes, but they're required along the pathway. So we've stretched it a little bit, the definition a little bit because of some uh, of just the changing teaching assignments of some of the members of our, of our faculty learning community. But, but, nor, but the original focus and the primary focus is on the, the early classes where people come into a program and they're required. They're often large, not always, but they're often large classes.
0: So I know you two were you got to choose the members of your FLC. There's an application process. Um, What what did you look for in members for your FLC?
2: I think we looked for people who who were um, teaching gateway classes. At least some of their assignment, teaching assignment, was gateway classes, and who had expressed an interest in the FLC that we were putting together. So um, people ranked their interest and in, in, in terms of number one, number two, number three as they were choosing FLCs. And so we tried um, first to, to get the group that was most interested and then secondly when we were looking across all the flcs we also looked for balance like were we putting a whole bunch of people from one department in one um flc or not so there was some attempt to ensure that the the flcs were diverse and and I, as sarah was saying that's been a real um benefit and 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 uh, to our flc is that diversity that people are from different parts of campus
0: maybe the weightiest question that I that I wanted to it's not a question it's a command I guess Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't mean it like a command
2: a weighty a weighty command
0: (laughs) a weighty command my gosh Um, tell us more about what you've learned in the FLC process Let let
1: me just give you my my quick my quick response is that um, you can't change everybody and you can't change the world. <laughs> um, so as much as you might want to um, have a positive influence and, and grow. And also like, I, like I can incorporate strategies into my own class and I can see how ideas connect to each other and I can do those things and I can help other people. But at the same time, they have to want to make that change in themselves And that not everyone is necessarily willing to make a change. And that's been sort of, I guess, a growing pain in the process is that some people are willing to make changes and do things differently. And some people, although they're interested, might not feel like they still have the resources or the
0: understanding to implement changes. I see. Do you have anything to add to that, Dave? Or?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. I, I, with my students, too, I, I've been thinking about this ideas of um, what are the characteristics of uh, one of the things is just human time constants and the, the variability in them um, and that some of us are. are we're like strings on a violin that are more tightly wound, and it it it. We're not as easily. I, I don't know. Maybe that's probably not the best analogy, but but w- there are some of us that are more focused, and maybe a, a benefit of that is that we can really do beautiful things in certain areas. But it also makes it hard, that same ability to focus might make it harder for us to get out of our ruts sometimes and try something new. And others of us struggle with that. Um, sustain focus maybe, but maybe we're much easier to try new ideas and things. And so it's interesting in a community how to draw the strengths of both things yeah. out and um, and to appreciate both and, and to understand that our journeys may have different sort of time constants and things. Um, and how do we work with that? And I, I actually think that that's a really important thing in trying to help our students have discussions to understand And maybe in our country, too, where we're sometimes some of us want to change things strongly in one way and others want to change it strongly in another way. And just being mindful of what are some of these human constraints, but that actually it has really, like Sarah said, it's, it's pushed me to think about those things. And so I'm very grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that sort of like balance isn't really there when you're staring at your computer or you're staring at your students, right? <laughs> because yeah. when you're staring at your computer, like, you know, you're just, or what I'm doing is like making calculus problems out of my brain. Um, and I don't have to like deal with anyone else.
2: <laughs> I love that. The sort of the cloud of calculus just coming out, this beautiful <laughs> fragrance. It is beautiful. <laughs> it is, it is. The calculus is marvelous.
0: So then when you're with your students, you're an authority, right? So like you want them to do these things. You can tell them what to do. They don't always do the things, but there's no like conversation really about what the important things are. Like you're the expert who knows what the important things are and they are the ones who have to learn the important things or not. Um, And so when we're dealing with other humans who are used to that, maybe can can, can uh, you know be a a point where you have to step back and be like oh <laughs> this is and I, I can't remember which of you i'm so sorry but one of you wanted i think it was dave you're so for our listeners dave and sarah each had separate flcs that they wanted to do but then at some point, decided that it made more sense to merge them, and so I think one of you were ta- originally had wanted to talk about motivation in the, in your classroom, which it seems like you kind of are still. So, how is that coming up in your in your FLC?
2: Well, I think um, we've had pretty good contributions, like from people coming for the most part. Um, pretty faithfully and pretty regularly. So, so in terms of our own participants, I, I have been really pleased with the motivation and the, and the willingness to come and partake, be just part of the community. And, um, I've been so grateful for that. Um, and, and, and we have been discussing it in terms of our students too. It's, it comes up in our conversations as each, each of our meetings, um, in the spring had a focus where we would read a paper or watch a, a video or something like that, and then use that as a springboard for, for conversation. Um, uh, or one member would pre- pre- give us a presentation to think about uh, something. And I think that that, that that idea of engaging our students has been kind of one of the central themes of our, of our discussions.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the topics that a lot of our participants have focused on is student choice. So one of our instructors has a very uh, a different plan. So basically, if you want to choose your grade to be out of this many points, you choose plan A. But if you want, and so that's like just taking the tests. Or if you want to do quizzes and tests, then you choose plan B. If you want to do homework, quizzes, and tests, then you choose plan C. And so that choice in what the students want to do, um, how they've seen that help Student motivation, like, okay, this is the plan I wanted, so I better stick to it. Um, and so that was one uh, presentation that was made about how student choice can be a motivation. So, whether it's in a grading system or a project, so we do have some of our participants who are making portfolio projects. So, the students get to choose um, this, this is in the math uh, group, like, they're choosing different proofs, or I'm um, something. And so it leads up to a a portfolio project at the end where they uh, show these different um, competencies that they've learned um, through the proof project that they present.
2: There's a a bunch of different places where it has come in. Um, So another place that we've talked about it is we had a discussion just kind of about flow of matching the level of our work to a place where it has the right level of challenge, because the, the, the psychology studies say that if you make things too difficult, people just give up. And if you make them too easy, they get bored. So there's this art of finding the right level of difficulty of problems that, that creates sustained engagement. And, um, and, and so um, that's another place where it came up and uh, um, probably came up in all of our discussions. One where that was kind of interesting was we had a discussion on bridges so to, um, from our topic to the way it connects to the larger world. And, um, and there it was, there were some really interesting disciplinary differences because, um, um, uh, many of us have those links as part of our teaching, but in, again, going back to the difference between math and some parts of math and, um, the other things in some parts of math there, the beauty is the abstraction and you deliberately don't want to muddy that with the messiness of, um, real sort of applications you want to really focus and that was a really interesting thing for me I'd, I'd recently watched a movie called Cezanne et moi and Cezanne was an artist in France who started making when he was initially started painting he he um, you know wasn't that well recognized but near the end of his career, he really began thinking about the underlying shapes and things in his in his paintings, and they became a, a meld of abstract and real. And, and he was at that border, and he really launched a whole new movement in art. And I think that there's a that beautiful spectrum we see in our disciplines as well. There are some of us who focus really purely on the abstractions, on the theory, and to make pro- progress. And there are some of us that focus much more on the 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 real world part of it and then there's a bunch of us that work in the middle kind of trying to use both and so it's another one of these interesting continuums that i think is really interesting and i don't know that if we had not had the sort of the diverse membership that we had that that we would be able to have begun to think about that in the same in the same way so that really I think we raised more questions there than we answered in terms of that, but it's, I think it's helpful just to be, to, and to, to be thinking, to be pushed to think so.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess in some sense, that's the point of the FLC, right? Is to raise more questions than you
2: answer. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs)
0: Um, Can you give me each of you an example of something that you have changed as a result of your FLC? Do you want to
2: start? I'll uh, sure. I'll start. Um, so I, I, I pro- probably a number of things, but one of the things recently, w- this is, uh, we've been, as a part of a separate process, yeah. we've been asked to look carefully at the group of students in our chemistry courses who are getting. D, Fs, and Ws uh, right now, great grades. They're essentially grades that prevent them from continuing on to the next course. Um, and that, that's separate from the FLC. But I have been wondering about what I can do to, um, to just be more mindful of helping those students. And so at our last FLC meeting, I threw the question out. Um, Naomi and Sarah were, were there at the end. And they actually had a lot of insights that were really helpful to me about, you know, sending out an email after the first exam to those students and not calling them into my office, telling them they needed help, but just being actually kind and saying that, you know, but expressing hope and to those students and saying that. Um, that I'm available. And I I believe in you. I know this exam maybe didn't go as probably didn't go as you wanted, but let's, and those are little things that I think probably can have a huge impact for some students that, um, that I so appreciated having, um, being able to just discuss it with them and getting uh, some creative ideas. That's just one. They had a couple of ideas, but some creative ideas back that would help me um, to, to help those students and be more mindful of how can I, in simple ways, um, reach out to these students. And we, we, it bridges on another topic that we had talked about, which is kindness. And uh, one of our things was we read a paper on how kindness is important for students. And, um, and whenever I do experiments where I try to be a little bit tougher to help them, I often find, oh, that didn't work. I need, especially with introductory students, it really helps. And, the ones aren't doing so well, I think, kindness. So that's another thing that I've been really working on, trying to, to... So two things.
1: Yeah, so kindness has been one of our, I think, kind of overarching topics that we keep coming back to a little bit. And we talk about how um, kindness isn't letting students walk all over you and get their way all the time, that kindness you know, there's kind of right now being kind and long-term I'm preparing you for another world out there, kindness. Um, and I think that's just been one of our big topics. And so I think I've been, and I, I, I'm kind of like, I guess the nice person on like, anyway, um,
0: can confirm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So like for me, the kindness again is, um, like one of those, Things, especially with this semester because my class does have an attendance policy um, and we do require documentation of absences if you have excessive absences then we need to know like doctor's appointments and things like that are they excusable absences or are they not kind of knowing that even though we do have a student health center that not everybody can get an appointment and not everybody can go see a doctor. Not everybody has those finances, um, but just understanding. And sometimes they'll actually send me like a little video, like Miss Couch, I'm home, I'm sick. And I just, I can't come to class today, but I don't have a doctor's note, but just, you know, accepting that you know, they're having a bad day and I can send them the notes that we're doing and, and just move on um, without being like, how dare you not come to my class, you know? So there's different ways of expressing that type of kindness. Um, So for me uh, with active learning, so right now I'm teaching two courses. I'm also teaching the science teaching methods for future science teachers for middle school, high school students. And so it's not part of our gateway program, but I am incorporating some of the things that we've done into that class also. Um, and one of the things we talked about was mindset, having a growth mindset, and how to help integrate that into their lesson plans and their future teaching, and how they influence their students.
0: Yeah, the growth mindset is so important, especially for future teachers. <laughs> yeah. Um, I um, one of my I I had a friend in grad school who whenever I said anything disparaging about myself she would say don't talk about my friend that way and so I don't I don't know if I've told you guys, guys this you two, no. I don't know if okay. I want to say but anyway so when my students are like I'm bad at algebra or something then I say don't talk about my student that way <laughs> <laughs> I love that
2: that's wonderful <laughs>
0: Also, one of my favorite things, unrelated to my own students, is just walking around campus and seeing like a student in the hallway and saying, I believe in you, if they're not wearing headphones, because then it gets awkward. If they, <laughs> but if, but like, you know, you're doing great, or I believe in you, to just some like random strange student, it always makes them smile. So try that <laughs> on yeah. the subject of kindness. <laughs> it's really so... I wouldn't ever have expected kindness to be the thing that came out of, of your FLC, not because you both aren't wonderful people. That's definitely true. (laughs) And, (coughs) And kindness is definitely a thing that I would attribute to both of you, but, um, just, I guess, because, you know, academia, we all got here by sort of this, um, really rough approach right? the yeah, yeah. yeah just making it yeah no one no one was nice to us that's and we got here anyway so um it's really fun for me to hear that you know this, I think this it was one of,
1: of our first papers that we read I think Dave had found it
2: yeah I think it was it was the it was one of the first papers that we read
0: yeah oh I forgot about it sorry <laughs>
1: Oh, no. So that we read with our... No, no, no. With our FLC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it wasn't. Okay.
2: It wasn't. It wasn't. So it... it,
1: uh, But it was a nice way to open up our FLC and to have that idea of kindness um, because it's not only how we interact with students, but also how we interact with others and like of our own, like within our faculty and, and how that can influence both motivation of our FLC members, but
0: also of our students. It sounds like a great norm-setting activity. It was good.
2: Well, and the interesting thing, too, is in science, too, and I think we tend to um, have very frank conversations that we can be very comfortable with, but I I think that people who have not done Uh, been in an academic community. I don't think it's just science, but I think in academic communities that work well, there can be sort of very frank, challenging discussions, but a lot of the rest of the world isn't used to that type of conversation. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I as a scientist have been trying to learn is that I want to get my students to the point where they can have these sort of robust discussions and disagree with each other and still be friends and realize that that, that's a discussion of ideas it's not a discussion of your worth as a person and to separate those two and there is an art we can make it we can put people down in our discussions and things too but it's interesting to me but also that journey of how do we help students who are not been excuse not used to that start out and and realize that we really care about them and then gradually strengthen them up and toughen them up a bit and learn how to do these moves these sort of conversational moves in a way that is not hurtful, but that does get us thinking, right? That that maybe challenges some of our established ways of of looking at things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have an interesting, our next session is related to that, that we're going to be talking about how do we help students um, develop good conversations? (laughs) And so I think we've all struggled sometimes with assigning group work and then it not working very well um, in class, like trying to and then other activities do. And it's an interesting question of how do you structure and, and it probably at different levels of of like seniors and freshmen, seniors probably you want to do this very differently than freshmen. And if they all know each other, like they're part of the same major and they've been having classes together. That's probably a different sort of conversation than if you have a gateway course where there's a lot of students who don't know each other at all, or maybe nobody in the class. And so I'm really looking forward to this. And I, and I think we all are, everybody was thinking of examples. So when we, when we brought this up, I think it was, I, I think it was probably Sarah's idea that, 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 we, that we consider this. And, and so, um, but really, how do we help our students to develop and get practice with conversational moves with topics that are non-threatening so they can learn how to how to do these things? And I, I don't know, that's really interesting to me because I think the community can be motivating or demotivating. We're very sensitive as human beings to how we relate with other people. And so trying to create a virtuous cycle of community within our classrooms that really enhances the learning I th- is uh, is uh, I think a worthy and challenging endeavor.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear what you find out about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to have you come too. You can teach us cool things, like telling us what was it that I don't, yeah, that what you said about, yeah, please don't talk to my student that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I am interested maybe also in an extension of that with peer feedback because I've tried peer feedback, but what happens is that my students are too nice to each other. I mean, not, you know, too nice, but like they don't want to give each other honest feedback if something needs work. And so um, I think that would be maybe an idea for your group to explore beyond just conversational things, but. Um, well, I think someone had mentioned
1: in, in their proof project that they have to get it edited by a peer before they submit it for grading. And so, we're, we're, one of our processes that we've also talked about is um, feedback. Like, Like, when do you grade something? So, is the first submission, like, that's it, you only get this one chance at a grade, or do they get a chance to revise um, and to go back and edit their work? And so I think somebody had mentioned that there's a peer edit process now that they have before you submit it for evaluation by the uh, professor. And then you get, um, once the professor sees it and makes their comments on it, they get another chance. And so that was another aspect of kindness where they, they still have to work for the grade, but if you did bad on this one cha- on this one shot, you're not stuck that you have a chance to revise and resubmit. Um, but we do have limits, like they've set limits, like it's not an endless cycle where you can submit over and over and over again, but that they have this uh, process of, of submitting for revision.
2: Peer review is, helps a little bit with the time, I guess, from the professor's point of view. But uh, it's interesting how to get them to so there's some incentive there, right, with the professor following to to actually give them feedback that will help. But whether I'd be interested to ask them, Sarah, do you know if that had how that had worked? Did they felt did do you remember that if they I don't had said think that
1: they had done it yet? I think okay, it was, so it's
2: a, a plan. plan. Okay. But
1: not they haven't
0: executed the idea yet. Well, everyone who listens to this episode will have to listen to try to join your (laughs) FLC so we can all figure out what happens.
2: (laughs) Or send us the answer in advance if somebody's already tried it and they know.
0: I've also thought about this with the feedback I give my students because, you know, like you're just sort of like whipping through a problem at a time and you might be writing like, you know, use the derivative test on every one of the one, one of your I that one comes up a lot, so that's why. (laughs) Um, So, have you thought any about like the students' perception of your own feedback too? From you know, like, let me maybe explain what I mean a little better. (laughs) So, you know, I'm whipping through calculus exams, writing use the derivative test, and so my students get that, and like, they don't really know what that means, and so they don't know what it means, or it might seem harsh to them. Um, when to me it was just like, it's almost lunchtime and I need to write the <laughs> derivative test one more time. Yeah. Um, have you thought any about maybe softening as a, as a way of getting at kindness, softening that, that feedback in a way that's still useful? <laughs> I
1: mean, it's just like it's just some, like from previous experience in like education classes, um, I know like i for me when I'm grading I like to use marker because it makes me happy and <laughs> and uh, in education classes they taught they taught us back in the day like never use red because it does come across as being ha- very harsh and critical um, so for me I use purple marker and it makes me happy um, and that's what I grade with Um, And I I might be saying the same exact thing. I I might be making the same statement that I would in my red pen, but just seeing it in a purple marker that it's somehow less harsh uh, to the student perception. Um, So as silly as it is, the color that you use to grade with can be uh, something that the students perceive as being harsh when it really wasn't intended that way.
0: I love the idea of using a marker because it sort of makes your feedback look kind of, you know, it's, fun. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> and it's fun and it's fun. Soft. Um, yeah. And I, and no matter how, what age your students are, a sticker or a stamp makes them happy. And so putting that little stamp on their work or a smiley face, that can be a good thing. Um, you know, if it's stamp worthy, you know, you got to have those good ones. Um, But, um, you know, there, there are things that, um, and again, like you were saying, like you're just trying to get through the stack of papers. Um, but if you would, were to say, or rephrase it, like try using this, you know, and just kind of as more of a friendly reminder than use this. And it's just the tone that's perceived by the student is, and it was never in necessarily your intention but it's the perception and, and so just how you phrase things can be interpreted um, by students in a different way
2: yeah I, I I think that 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 your question Brandy is really a universal question for teachers right and all of us who care want to continue, improving the clarity of our teaching and the clarity of our feedback and understanding our students. And so, um, And it's fun, like even listening to Sarah now, I'm realizing, oh, I should put, I should watch my tone and my feedback. So I'm learning. And, but I think to me, that's a, that's, that's part of the, the beautiful quest of teaching is trying in our own disciplines is trying to get it clear. And another one of the topics that we've discussed is memory, human memory and building schemas. And that's something that I've been on a long term kind of quest in my, with my classes is trying to figure out what is the sort of minimal decision-making tree that's needed to be able to solve this class of problems whereby you can logically organize things? And how do I really present that clearly to students in such a way that if I give a reminder back later to them, like that's a few words, they can click into a prior set of notes and, and, and go back and uh, if if they've done that work, which I call memory work, of that, so there are those core concepts for the decision making trees and and things, um, and so so I, I mean I love that question, and to me that that's just at the the, sort of the heart of teaching is finding really clear ways to communicate, right? And as well as we were talking about motivating, and but even if you got motivated students, then to really help them, you've got to be able to clearly communicate. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like a. It's for me, sort of a one of my, you know, long term side quests is like, how do I get students to look at my feedback that I that I worked on, <laughs> and not look at just the number at the top of the paper? And I've tried everything from like never writing a number at the top of the paper. <laughs> I can't say yeah. I have tried everything. I've tried a lot of things, but um, but so, students, I, like, I really. I, I,
1: Okay. like writing the answer like write write the grade is the very last thing on the page like yeah. where they have well, to like flip it over to find it or
0: I've um, done that but I've also not given them grades and just given them feedback and that doesn't work so I didn't like that oh what about on the, the topic the, of motivation they have a hard time like
1: face and frowny face <laughs>
0: Um, I, I have, pa- I have occasionally done pass try again, like you mm-hmm. were talking about, um, right. that, but then also at some point you can't try again anymore. So it's, right. um, but I, I,
2: I, I thank you, Brandy. Cause I think this could be a wonderful discussion. We haven't really discussed this. I don't think in our FLC. And I think it would be a wonderful topic is mm-hmm. when we get Feedback. We try to get feedback. How do we even know? Like, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm not even sure. I grade the tests and I put comments on. But, Brandy, you're ahead of me because you're actually thinking about carefully how many students are looking at that. And I'm giving it to them, but I'm not keeping track of trying to actually. And I think it would be helpful for me to try to think about that more carefully because it is really interesting in our balance of time as professors. How much time is it worth spending on grading? Like, how and of course it seems like the more students will look at it and take advantage of that feedback then the more worthwhile it is um uh so but i, I don't know sarah what do you think we could we make that a topic
0: I think it's a good topic i think we got to add that in let me know when you're going to talk about it i'll come like
2: well you huh? can be our guest you can be our guest yes. <laughs> um
0: the so yeah feedback and kindness are sort of like the theme of I mean, we all know that a motivation of our students is grades. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but our motivation is different than grades. And so it's I just sort of think about like balancing their motivation with my motivation. <laughs> 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 yeah. You learn differential equations this semester, not <laughs> you have an A.
2: <laughs> that that really sounds like a, a t-shirt or a cartoon waiting to happen with some sort of balance with the, the teacher on the one side and the, stu- the way the student is thinking on the other side. I don't know how you draw it, but.
0: Yeah. I mean, also there's, I guess, a conversation to be had about like in your in your classes, in your gateway classes, like what are your students' motivations there? You know, what are they trying to get out of your class? And, you know, unfortunately well, for a lot of them, it's probably... other side you know like December is what they want
1: and so thinking about feedback a little bit I know um a lot of us after our first test we asked our students a couple of questions but in slightly different ways like I asked my students how much did you prepare for the test did you feel that you were adequately like adequately prepared what were other things that you could have done in preparation? And then I also asked, what could they use from me? Like how else could I help them in, in that preparation? Um, like not just give you a 100 on your test because you want 100 on your test, but what were some actual things that they could have benefited from from me? And I think a lot of us ask those similar types of questions. And I got some really honest feedback from my students. Um, kind of assessing themselves saying that I barely looked at the notes and I got the grade I expected, you know, that they, they didn't put in the effort and they didn't get a great grade. Um, I had other students say that they, you know, they really tried um, to study well, they felt fairly well prepared, things like that. Um, And then I was also able to see what they needed from me Um, and, and I got some common comments across my classes that they wanted, um, the PowerPoint notes provided. And I had a discussion with them why we don't put them on Blackboard, but if you want them saved, I will save them for you, but they're too big to email. So we had that discussion and that they also wanted a study day. And that was something that I also said is usually in our schedule, but in that first unit, we had, um, a weather shutdown day that kind of stole, a day of instruction. So we lost a study day when that happened because we just had to keep working up through the test. And so I, but I reassured them that for this test, we will have a study day and, and things like that. So, um, so getting just a quick note card comment like that, and then just being able to, you know, it took three minutes of my class to talk about, but where they actually knew that I did read their comments and I, I did, um, realize where what things were that they wanted so just acknowledging that I think was good Um, kind of important part of that communication process but I know other other members in our FLC have done something similar where they ask students how how did they think it went for that first test Mm -hmm.
0: that's a great idea I like it I'm stealing it (laughs)
2: And I and I uh, the um, it's interesting, too, as you're saying this it's making me think that um, I think that my students and I would probably agree on their long term motivation. Like, I think if I predicted what their long term motivation was and what they predicted, they might be somewhat similar, like they might want to have success in a career they might want to have be able to have good relationships uh, with you know with other people or things like this that would give them some joy and things but where we might differ is uh, on the, what does role, does this, does your learning and what should the short-term goals in this class be to help you take a step toward that long-term goal that we would probably both, or at least I would be happy to jump on board their long-term goal. Like I, and, and I think that's where we might disagree, which is interesting. And there's where I think we have a more perspective because we've made this journey and we know other people who have. Right. And so, it's interesting. So I I love that idea of thinking about that. And I hadn't thought about it in kind of breaking it up the way that that you were talking about. And then, you know, we have talked about um, uh, sort of um, a mindset a bunch. And I think that those are interventions to try to help students align their short-term strategies with their long-term goals, using information that's really well understood to help you do that. And, but it's interesting then to come back, I think at the end of the course, and ask again that question how have your goals in this course have they changed at all the short term goals as a as a function of having been a member of this do you or maybe and i think that's a really interesting question are are to see um how students um learn in that area as well um uh, of this this idea of having good long-term goals and then having strategies that are actually likely to lead to that and getting them aligned um so I I love that I that that thinking about motivation in that way thank you.
0: I would love to talk to you both all day long but <laughs> <laughs> um we have to move on to our various, various other uh items today. So I want to say thank you both so much for your time. Um it is such a precious uh Thing for you to give me today so thank you so much for spending this this hour
2: with me <laughs> it's been fun brandy thank you very much for doing this and for pushing us to think and talk about things that that we enjoy and it, it you know it's kind of fun to sit back here and to you you helped us to at least me to revisit kind of through our whole flc and i don't know that we've done that sarah I, until, no, it's been until nice today to so
1: reflect on that whole process to see where we've kind of started and how we've modified and changed things to to get a good understanding of each other and our processes and to really start implementing some of these practices that we've talked about.